I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. The theme of this week's show is gardens. My guest is Roxanne Williams-Draper. Roxanne is the Executive Director of City Sprouts Community Garden. A master gardener, Roxanne has had a lifelong love of gardening and growing and has served as the Youth Director at Countryside Community Church, the First Director of Education and Volunteers at Lawrence and Gardens, the Executive Director of the Omaha Public Library, and a preschool teacher at an arts and nature-based preschool. With a degree in interior design from UNO, Roxanne previously practiced as an interior designer before the birth of her four sons. Her work at City Sprouts combines her love of gardening, volunteers, youth, and development. Roxanne, thanks for being here on the show. My pleasure, Stuart. So tell me a little more about what City Sprouts is. So City Sprouts is a community garden located in North Omaha at 40th and Seward. We are in the uh, Orchard Park neighborhood. And uh, it's the oldest community garden in Omaha, started in 1995. It was started by Dr. Andy Jaminton, who is a professor of philosophy at UNMC and his partner, Kate Brown. They lived in the neighborhood, and there was a vacant lot that was collecting trash and bottles and cans and tires and unsavory behavior was occurring there. And um, because they were part of that community, they wanted to see that place changed into, instead of being a place of despair, into a place of hope and growth. And they gathered the neighbors together, and they started gardening on the lot. Um, so that was 22 years ago. Now we have 46 raised beds that we share with our neighbors. Um, it's a $20 fee, but if that's a hardship, we raise the we um, waive the fee, and we provide seeds, plants, water, education, and encouragement to help our neighbors grow fresh vegetables to feed their family. In addition to um, the increase in fresh local food. We also provide education through our seasonal workshops. Usually once a week, we have a workshop on a various topic open to all ages. We also provide employment for underserved youth through our internship program. You know, so you mentioned the founder was a professor of philosophy. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder, is there a connection between philosophy and gardening? I think very much so on very many levels. Um, lots of times with philosophy, you're thinking about what is the value of your life? Why do we do the things we do? How do we um, create a better environment for our family? And gardening does that. There's a really wonderful connection between health and gardening from enjoyment of the outdoors. Community gardens help to build community as people come out of their homes and gather together outside, enjoying the birds and the flowers and growing things together. It really is a very positive uh, life skill. You described the garden as a place of hope and growth, which I think is a, a lovely expression. Tell me a little bit more about the impact of uh, the community gardens on the people that uh, that, that garden there, whether they're uh, students or, or gardeners or, or even staff. So I think one of the really great things about a community garden is it does help to bring the people in the neighborhood together. Because Orchard Hill is... Um, highly rental area. I think it's 85% rental property there. We do have quite a high turnover in our neighborhood. And so this is one um, 
landmark that always stands out as a place where people know they can come to gather together and meet their neighbors. And during the wintertime, when we don't have a lot of gardening going on outside, we have a program called Community and Coffee. So on Saturday mornings from 9 till noon, the Education Center is open. We have coffee brewing and tea, and we usually make muffins or breads or something like that. And it's an opportunity for people in the neighborhood to reconnect after they've uh, been indoors over the winter and then hopefully here it's 24 days till the first day of spring so we'll be putting plants in the ground soon already uh i'm getting my code on the sound engineer dalamar's getting his code on you mentioned muffins and coffee i think we're already <laughs> we're on our way okay <laughs> uh, what changes have you witnessed in the community around the community garden have you have you seen any impacts on the community at large resulting from the community garden being there? Um, you know, it's hard to pinpoint the actual um, effect that it has, but I would say that one thing it does is serve as an inspiration to the people in the neighborhood and in the community to realize that um, with some love and sweat, sweat, blood, and tears, you can actually change something into a beautiful, relaxing, growing space. And I think that that serves as an inspiration. I think it also... Um, provides the neighbors with education, which is a really great thing. And we work a lot with the children and the youth because we are finding that not only in our neighborhood, but in so many na neighborhoods, there is a large disconnect from about where our food comes from, this nature deficit where they don't know that carrots grow in the ground or that sweet potatoes <laughs> grow under the soil. Um, when I put my hand in the chicken coop and I pull out an egg from underneath the hen, their eyes just get huge and they seem to not realize that that's where their food comes from. So I think that connecting people with where their food comes from and realizing how satisfying it is to have a hand in the growth of the food that you're eating, it is a very rewarding experience. It seems surprising on the one hand that our children in, in some parts of our uh, urban communities and, and elsewhere don't necessarily have that connection with the natural world that um, we maybe have taken for granted in previous generations. And yet it seems so wonderful that there is a movement around community gardens to inject something of the natural world back into increasingly blighted urban environments that, that we're also allowing to uh, sort of fall into disrepair, as it were. So are we building a movement of community gardens? Is, is this something that is growing and expanding and uh, being, being sought out by communities? I think that there definitely is a growing movement, and it um, stems from a lot of different things. It stems from people feeling disconnected from their neighbors. We don't have the front porches that we had in days of past where everyone would gather outside and the kids would play in the street. We don't have that sort of connection. Community gardens offer a place for neighbors to gather. I think that... Um, with a lot of two family, um, with both parents working, it's challenging to find the time to grow food in your own backyard if you don't have the knowledge or the experience to be able to do it. So a community garden offers that education and encouragement so that we can uh, return to some of those uh, easy skills. And sometimes the safety of our children and youth is a concern and, and parents don't feel comfortable with the kids out playing in the backyard unattended. So they've kind of... Um, lost the 
natural exploration that happens when you're a young kid and you're outside digging in the soil and looking at bugs and worms and you see bees and beetles and realize that they're part of the natural environment and they're not something to run shrieking from. I'm surprised how often kids consider anything that moves or flies or crawls as a huge threat. And, you know, they're very afraid of them. And it's, it's a butterfly. It's a pollinator. It's responsible for a lot of the fruit that you're able to eat. So reconnecting them with the process of how food grows, how vegetables and fruit grow, I think is a very positive thing. So I think there are a lot of people, also the health issue, concerned about um, the amount of artificial ingredients in their food, the processing in their food. Uh, we have you know, a trend toward um, obesity. So this is a great way to eat fresh food that's not processed. And then even being outside, walking in the garden and working in the garden helps increase the amount of physical activity that you're doing. How much food is actually grown in Omaha's community gardens? It I don't know how much is grown throughout the city. There are many, many community gardens. There are many organizations that are doing great work on in various areas, um, in various ways. Sometimes the community garden is directly connected to a food pantry, so the food they grow at the community garden goes to the food pantry, or sometimes it's connected with a church or a school. People have gardens in their backyard, so it's really hard for me to set an actual amount. I know that um, we usually raise about 10 tons of vegetables. Now, that's including pumpkins and acorn squash, so some of those things weigh a lot, but um, it's a, it really does make a difference. Clearly, I'm going to out myself as someone ignorant. Uh, that sounds like a huge amount of food, even if some of it is uh, squashes and, and pumpkins that are heavier, but um, how many people does that feed, that amount, 10, 10 tons? Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, in our community garden, we have about 46 families. So, um, you know, that the families vary in the size and that varies in what they grow. But our interns work at our urban farm, which is directly north of our education center and our community garden. And we have a quarter of an acre where they farm and the food that they grow there is sold at a farm stand on site on Saturday mornings. And then some of the food that we grow is processed so they learn to make uh, it's not processed. It's more preserved. They learn to make jams and jellies, breads, muffins, that sort of thing, um, tomato sauce, salsa. And um, then the food that's left over after that goes to uh, Table Grace on Farnham Street, which is a wonderful restaurant that serves soup, salads, and pizzas. So everything we grow can be used in their menu. And it's a pay-as-you're-able uh, restaurant. So it's a great place, and it's a good partnership that we have with them. Have some food for thought. You're listening to Lives. We'll be back after a short break. It was a stormy night. You know the kind where the lightning strikes. And I was hanging out with some of my artsy friends. Ooh, you, you. The night was long. The night went on. We were cooling out through the break of dawn. Incense was burning, so I'm feeling bright. I see I picked my friends like a big my fruit. Pleasing me, goals can't please you, and that's why I do what I do. My soul flies free like a willow tree. Do we, do we, do we? 
Welcome back to Lives. My guest today is Roxanne Williams-Draper, the Executive Director of City Sprouts Community Garden. So tell me a little bit more about your background, uh, and maybe let's start at the beginning. Uh, what, what are your earliest memories of, of being a child in gardens? Okay. Well, I was born in North Dakota, and my grandma and grandpa were both farmers, and um, Grandma ran the um, red and white store there, so they supplied all of the necessary things for the small town of Gardena, North Dakota. My mom and dad both grew up on the farm. And then, uh, so I remember in the summer going up with my grandpa and riding around on the tractor and um, being in the barn with the horses and the chickens and always had a love of it. Then we moved to Sioux Falls and my mom didn't my mom had some vegetables, but a lot of flowers. So I really enjoyed growing the flowers and playing outside with the flowers. And then as I became an adult, I did more vegetable growing and um, really loved it. It's a great feeling. There's a great feeling of satisfaction and wonder and sometimes disappointment and expectation. So anticipation, there are a lot of wonderful things that occur. And um, so all the things that I really loved, um, being outside, um, Color, shape, size, food, um, those were, things were all incorporated in gardening. And then when I was the director of um, education and volunteers at Lawrenson, all those things kind of came together. And then I did some fundraising development work and um, did some teaching and worked with youth. And then uh, six years ago, I found this position at City Sprouts, and it's my sweet spot. I feel so fortunate at this point in my life to have found a job that I don't even consider a job. It's my passion. And then I feel blessed and honored to be able to work with wonderful people in the community. It's funny the expression that we go to work in the garden. And it seems so fitting also because I usually associate gardening with work. But to your point, it seems to be very fulfilling work. There seems to be something clearly nurturing to your spirit about being in the garden. But it is hard work. So how do you, you know, manage to sustain uh, the kind of effort that is required to be a you know constant gardener. Well, I think that many hands make light work. So an organization, a nonprofit like City Sprouts, does not rest on the shoulders of any one individual. It's a very devoted volunteer board. It's very educated and dedicated staff. It's excited gardeners, uh, volunteers who love to share their skills. So everybody splits the work. So it's not like I'm out there pulling a plow, you know, for the, for the North 80, you know, they're, they're manageable plots. And that is the thing. I think sometimes people get disappointed because they start too big and they think they probably need 10 tomato plants and 15 zucchinis. And really, I am here to tell you one cherry tomato plant is all you really need. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, a scale that's manageable and it's also a scale that is enough to provide a variety of food and provide some food that you can store over the winter and, and use for meals later on until the next spring. But it takes a it takes a village. It's not one person doing this. So it's uh, our interns are a great help. They do a lot of the physical labor with the planting and weeding and harvesting at the farm, and uh, so it's everyone working together to create this wonderful community garden. How would a neighborhood go about identifying a suitable piece of property and then deciding to turn that over to some small but purposeful community garden of some sort. 
So the Douglas County Health Department has a wonderful resource for people that are interested in starting a community garden. It's on their website, and it's called the Community Garden Toolkit. And it goes through every step that you need to consider if you're thinking about changing um, some land into a community garden. The first and foremost consideration is you have to have a couple champions. If you're going to do a schoolyard garden or a church garden or a neighborhood garden, you have to have a few people who are very, very dedicated to doing it. Everybody wants to garden in the spring. But then as it starts to get hot and the weeds start to grow, gets to be insects, the interest can wane. But it's important to have a small group of volunteers that are really going to spearhead it and keep everybody focused and moving forward. The second thing is you need to have access to water. Um, And if the lot doesn't have water, it's very expensive to install water. There are alternatives. You can use rain barrels and capture the rainfall. Um, and, And sometimes you can borrow from a neighboring house, but the water is an important consideration. Also, you need to check with your covenants in some neighborhoods to make sure that they're permissible in your neighborhood. And then I recommend that you get your soil tested to make sure that you know the condition of your soil, make sure there's no lead. North Omaha has uh, quite an issue with lead remaining in the soil. And so we do a lot of raised beds because then we can control the quality of the soil. We put in fresh soil and we're not using the, the soil that was there that could be contaminated with lead. And what would you recommend perhaps, especially, I'm really looking at myself, of course, the incompetence among us to plant so that the first surprise wasn't their incompetence at, at, at growing anything. Well, um, one of the main missions of City Spouts is to provide education on growing and healthy lifestyle choices. So we have a program called Growing Gardeners Workshop Series, and we partner with Big Garden, which is another great community garden organization. And every season, we offer workshops probably once a week on a variety of topics pertaining to the season. So right now, tomorrow night, we're doing sprouting greens. So we all are kind of anxious for a little bit of greens. And it's uh, available on the website, and that's a great way to learn. Um, there are lots of there are lots of good resources online, but I think gathering together with your neighbors and just giving it a a shot is uh, a good way to start. It is not brain so- you know it's not brain surgery. We've been doing this for thousands of years, and people have fed themselves through gardening for many many years. Uh, there are some pointers and things to remember, but part of the joy is the learning and finding being delightfully surprised by the variety of pepper that you selected, or maybe horrified at the <laughs> intensity of the heat. So. Um, part of it is the exploration and the surprise and the wonder of gardening. Do you have a personal favorite yourself, a, a flower or a vegetable or something that you typically grow? Oh, it's like asking for your favorite child. Um, but everybody has a favorite child. They I just, don't. They, I have four sons and I love them all equally. You hear that, boys? Um, I, I think that I really like spring flowers. I have self-diagnosed that I have sad seasonal adversity disorder. And so I start counting down to the days of spring from winter solstice in the middle of December until spring comes in March. Um, that's 24 days from today. And um, I was married on the first day of spring. So I love to see um, the tulips and the iris. Um, but of course, around Memorial Day, I love the peonies. And then I love zinnias in the summer, and I love the asters and the mums in the fall. And in terms of vegetables, there's nothing like those fresh 
peas, first thing in the cool crops that you get early in the spring, and those first little uh, green leaves of lettuce and spinach, that's delightful. I love a great juicy tomato. I I honestly don't have a favorite. I mean, I think that I love potatoes. I love sweet potatoes. Um, I don't think there's anything that I really don't like that we grow here in Nebraska. I think I like it all. And if I don't like it, it's probably because I haven't prepared it in a way that is uh, making it appetizing. I think like life, uh, a garden is a metaphor in in that way. Uh, Perhaps what I should say is that gardens are a metaphor in many ways to life. And this idea of seasonality, but reemergence and these cycles. And is that something that you reflect on, especially now as today we're recording, it's blizzarding outside, we're in the heart of winter, but the garden's still doing something. Yes, I think it's very important to remember uh, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And I think that gardens really illustrate that. And it teaches us patience. It teaches us determination and resiliency. When you see uh, in the fall when stuff starts to prepare to hibernate for the winter and go underneath the soil and just rest peacefully, I think that's a good advice for us. Sometimes we all need to slow down, hibernate a little bit, get some energy and then start again with fresh renewed spirit and growth. So I think there's um, a lot of similarities between a healthy life and a beautiful garden. Mm. Pull out the weeds. If you don't, it's going to get um, really overrun and those weeds can be compared to bad habits. So don't foster those bad habits when you when they're little and they're problematic. Get rid of them. Don't keep letting them go. Um, sometimes plants need support. So provide that support, whether it's uh, an encouraging word or trellis. Uh, Support is important to people and to plants. Um, And be open to possibilities. Uh, Sometimes you think you're planting a particular uh, variety, and it turns out to be not the variety you thought. You thought it was going to be a red tomato, and it turns out to be a gold tomato. And it's a great surprise. So be flexible and enjoy. Do you have a particular garden story or or memory that somehow just sort of is a favorite of yours or you have a deep uh, emotional attachment to in some way? You know, I have many of them, and I think that's the reason that I love what I do so much, and I love being involved in the community gardens. But one thing that I know is really fun with my own children, we used to plant a lot of gourds and pumpkins, and all through the summer, we would nurture them, we'd put the seeds, and then they'd start to grow and vine and get their flower, and then they'd start to grow the little pumpkins, and then at the end of the summer into the fall, when it was time to go hunt for them, it was like a treasure hunt for the kids and they'd go in there and they'd find a bumpy white gourd or a green and yellow striped one or an orange pumpkin or a white pumpkin and with each discovery it was just an exclamation of wonder and amazement that what they had planted from a tiny seed had grown into this marvelous thing and um to see the wonder and the excitement um is one of the greatest joys of gardening Well, it's been a wonder and exciting. Thank you, Roxanne, to chat with you today. My guest today has been Roxanne Williams-Draper. Roxanne is the Executive Director of City Sprouts Community Garden. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Stuart. You're listening to Lives. We'll be back after a short break. Take me outside, sit in the green garden. Nobody out there, but it's okay now. Bait in the sunlight, 
The money frame falls. Take me outside. Sit in the green garden. of a butterfly high as a treetop down again putting my bag down taking my shoes off walking the carpet a green velvet You are listening to Lives and this week's show is about gardens and the show is broadcast from KXNB Mind and Soul 101.3 FM, which is housed at the Malcolm X Center. And you may know Kieran, also known as The Sweetness, also known as Cookie, but he's also known as the person responsible for a garden at the Malcolm X Center. And he's going to say a little bit about this garden. Uh, well, when I first came here in uh, December, uh, they were mentioning the garden. You know, I didn't, I hadn't been out to see it until the... Uh, until the snow melted, of course, and the weather got just a little better. And um, I really, I saw it, and I saw a vision of what it could be. I saw, you know, I saw the plants growing, and I saw, you know, the the beauty that it could bring to that part of the city and this that part of the community. And I, I was just inspired to to spearhead the the project to beautify, what rejuvenate the um, the the garden, as it were, and uh, kind of bring some some color to this part of the community. So what can the community in this immediate neighborhood expect, perhaps, in the near future? Uh, well, in the next month or so, I want to definitely start um, recovering from the winter. There was a lot of debris thrown into these, uh, thrown into the boxes. So uh, the first phase of the plan would be rejuvenating from the winter, uh, revitalizing the soil, um, plant just getting ready to plant, basically. Um, when it starts warming up in about April or so, uh, that's when we'll start seeing um, flowers starting to grow at the uh, at the northern end of the garden uh, that's visible from the street. Um, then we'll start planting, uh, you know, various vegetables and maybe even some fruits if we can manage. Mind and Soul is a vibrant place. The Malcolm X Center is a vibrant place, and it sounds as if the garden around us is also going to become even more vibrant. Ex yes, definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. No problem it. at all. Thank you. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Dialogue, that part of the show when I'm joined by guests to talk broadly about the show's theme, which this week is gardens. With me in Dialogue are Craig Moody, Stephen Osberg, and Chelsea Taxman. 
Currently, Chelsea Taxman is the maker of Black Iris Botanicals products. She recently merged businesses with Prairie Star, an herbal medicine manufacturer in Blair, Nebraska. Chelsea is a native Omahan, student of herbal science, medicine maker, Nebraska naturalist, and home gardener. In addition to her business and school, Chelsea loves to teach. Her workshop offerings vary from wild plant identification, yoga, building fairy gardens, and DIY cocktail bitters, my favorite. She follows the cycle of the moon, adapts her wellness practices with the change of season, and ethically forages some ingredients for her products. Thank you for being here, Chelsea. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. Craig Moody is the managing principal of Verdis Group, a sustainability consulting firm here in Omaha. He's an Omaha transplant, having lived here for the last 17 years, and he was recently elected to the Omaha Public Power District's Board of Directors. Craig, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Stephen Osberg is an urban planner for the city of Omaha. There he works to promote transportation options that are affordable and convenient, along with land use patterns that foster lively, walkable neighborhoods. Stephen also enjoys good film, intriguing books, and strong coffee. Stephen, thanks for being here. Stuart, happy to be here. So when I say gardens, what what does that conjure in your mind? You know, Stuart, when you say gardens, the first thing that pops in my mind is my mom, actually. Um, growing up, uh, I grew up in Kearney, Nebraska, and we had a pretty decent sized backyard and my mom converted maybe a fourth of the whole backyard over to a vegetable garden. And I remember we used to live, I mean, we used to eat off of that, um, you know, all through maybe late August through the rest of the fall. And I don't know, I just have great memories of being back there, kind of grazing off of the food as best I could. And that's a garden to me. Um, when I think of gardens, I also think of family members and I think of magic, just the magic of watching things grow and change. Uh, I think a lot about my grandfather and his garden. Uh, we didn't have a garden uh, originally at my house growing up with my parents. They were not interested in getting their hands dirty, but uh, my grandfather did and my friends showed me a lot and summer camp and then I also, every once in a while, remember my mobile garden I had. I drove around for a while, and that was pretty magical. A mobile garden does sound magical. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued. A lot the same for me. Uh, my my Both of my grandmothers had really sizable gardens that uh, we always had access to, and, and more often than not, it was a they were setting up. It was always about uh, how they were going to fend off the deer every year. That was like a constant topic of conversation. I also think about you know more ornate gardens, Victorian gardens, and those kinds of things, and and uh, and the role that they play um, in a community. You know, some of my fondest memories of being in Paris were just kind of meandering through those tiny little pocket parks, which were beautiful, and you know, sitting there drinking a a bottle of wine, not by myself, but um, those are great community assets, which we we have very few of here locally, and and. Uh, but I, that's the other thing that comes to mind for me. You know, on the one end of the spectrum, you've got Central Park in New York City, like the, you know, the biggest green space that befits a city like New York. And then maybe in some smaller apartment buildings, maybe here in Omaha, literally just having a herb box, you know, attached to your window. Maybe that's your garden. But what do we do to bring that sense of garden to our lives? Yes, yeah, Stuart, that's 
I mean, I think that gardens really do provide a nice uh, place of respite, but sometimes they're a place of um, high activity too, where you start to see other people wandering around or animals and you can watch them and, and they can be inspiring in that way. And, and when we think about playing in a city and open spaces and, and gardens, I mean, I guess we think about all the different scales that that has to exist on, whether it's the, the smaller scale kind of little pocket park um, in the alleyway that, that Craig was talking about or Central Park, like you talked about, um, or even larger areas that we have nearby here, like Hitchcock Nature Preserve. I mean, I, I would consider that in a sense a garden, even though it's, you know, largely wild. Um, so what we've what we try to do is think about all of that. Um, sometimes, since it's not the city itself that's building the city, we have developers who do that. And we, when they build their subdevelopments, we require smaller size parks. Now we we didn't always do that, um, and we also require them to pay into fees that go into larger um, uh, community asset type parks. Um, but I think it, we also have to start thinking about. Um, public spaces, public green spaces, kind of like Emerging Terrain did, the, the nonprofit that used to operate out of, out of Omaha. When they, one great project that I worked on uh, for a short period with them was the Beltline project. They went right by the studio here um, along the former uh, Beltline railway that, that served the industrial part of the city at that time. And their idea for that corridor, um, partially transportation function, it had a, a light rail and a trail on that corridor, but primarily it was a linear public space. And it was, the idea was to have different types of, of experiences, whether they be um, edible forests along that path or, or different types of, of things. And, and so it's just, I think we start to think about all the scales that we can offer those, those assets in and then of course, the big question of, of how we come up with uh, prioritizing them enough to pay for them. So I, I wonder if a bit like our food industry, if we've, as individuals in society, lost touch with the natural world, and we don't seem to know how to grow our food, how our food is grown. Uh, we don't seem to uh, use natural ingredients in ways that perhaps our uh, grandparents would have understood. And, you know, maybe I'm going to look directly at Chelsea, but I'm I'm feeling as if we've lost contact in some way and, and gardens are maybe the device by which we can reacquaint ourselves with what it means to be human in a natural world. Um, yes, I would agree that there are pockets in this community in Omaha that have, and I mean, this is probably true for a lot of cities, but um, that we've lost touch with how to cook with raw ingredients. There's a, a, seems to be a gap in some education, but there's also a lot of knowledge here. And that's, I worked in the um, nonprofit in a, a garden nonprofit for about four years. And I went into it thinking nobody knows anything. No one knows how to cook. No one knows how to grow food. And truthfully, I learned that a lot of this community does, especially um, working in North and South Omaha uh, with the youth and the schools, those, their um, communities were a lot more, um, had a lot more generations and, and traditions passed down about growing food and making food from scratch more so than pockets of Midtown Omaha or West Omaha. Um, but aside from that, there um, there does seem to be a disconnect and maybe just an appreciation for gardens or nature or the outdoors um, that does seem to exist. And part of that is our the structure of the 
school day or the work day, or maybe there's, I don't know, all sorts of reasons for it that I can't pinpoint. But I don't know if I was answering a question or just agreeing with you. Um, it exists. There's a disconnect and a, a deep need for education, I think, uh, and just how to live our lives in a way that is um, maybe healthier, more connected to those things, to the earth. I kind of lost my train of thought because I'm now I'm like outside thinking about beautiful flowers. You know someone all if it in you know way You don't know someone love sweet sentimental You don't know someone all if it in you The village jump on said I'm can't get it enough I'm gonna run up and down Babylon I come Everywhere we turn up here, road black. Them want to take with you away. Open up your eyes and see. Oh, Jaja, oh, please. You don't know some love great sense. You said something that, I, that resonated with me, and I think it's about access to nature. I mean, there's, there's a lot of data that shows uh, if, that access to nature for people of all ages is really good for their well being, uh, especially. In the K-12 environment, um, you know, just unstructured nature play, there are very few things that are as good for kids as unstructured nature play. Uh, and so that doesn't have to be curated. That doesn't have to be at a nature preserve. Uh, that can be in your backyard backyard vegetable garden. That can be in a variety of different places. But it is there, – there's nothing I love more than when I just basically push my two little girls out the back door and then, you know, force them to find their own way. And, and go play and, and, you know, throwing sticks or whatever it's going to be. That I think those things are great for kids. And I think we, we, we need to continue to think about how do we provide those kinds of environments for people that are really accessible. And it's interesting to think about that too. Um, you know, I think we all have a sense that we want to have access to some outdoor spaces. And a lot of times we kind of in our minds – come up with this idea that those need to be private outdoor spaces and we a lot of times think about our backyards or our front yards but and and I think that that lends itself to a lot of problems with the way we build our cities we end up with you know public spaces that aren't as heavily used we end up with kind of um, you know areas where we don't interact with one another and so I think that it also takes kind of a shifting back to thinking about how we just think about public space in general and trying to find those those shared opportunities to to have these outdoor gardens. I feel slightly intimidated by what I regard as the social norms in my suburban neighborhood. I, I love where I live, I love the neighborhood, but I'm also aware that there seems to be a a way that one does one's garden. And there's a certain type of grass and, and it's mowed a certain way and there are certain treatments and types of uh, um, fencing and so on and so forth. And on the one hand, that encourages people's attentiveness to their gardens. But on the other, I think it's unnatural in some ways. The grass 
certainly isn't native and requires all sorts of means to keep it alive, which I'm failing to do, which just adds to my guilt. <laughs> so how do we think about gardens, but in a way that is both urban, but also makes sense for us locally? Again, there's a, a need for education around what um, can grow in your urban garden, your urban yard. There are many options, I think, of that include different types of ground cover. So if you want something that maybe looks like grass or a soft bed of green, but doesn't need to be watered throughout the summer, a little more drought tolerant or at least tolerant of our unpredictable um, Omaha weather every summer, um, those exist. That's a place to start, I guess. You can ask an expert in the field or ask your neighbors Ask somebody's yard you see who you're walking by and like, um, like the way it looks. Well, there is, I mean, to your point, there's, there's, this probably dates back to the, the, the move in the what forties or fifties into suburbia, uh, when, you know, we cars reverse, uh, really pushing people out to the outskirts of our city. And, and the, the American dream consisted of, uh, a big white house with a huge bed of grass that surrounded it. Right. And so all of a sudden we had, um, we had people, we were spreading our city out uh, and people were spending larger and larger portions of their weekends manicuring their lawns and cutting the trees and trimming the flowers, what have you. Um, and I, I think what's that sort of, what that's created in us is this expectation that that's, that's what a nice, well taken care of house looks like. Um, and, you know, we, we see this a little bit in, in my work we work with a lot of K-12 schools as well. And one of the transitions that's happening in K-12 environments is they're moving, especially in, in new construction, they're moving away from being surrounded by these massive seas of grass. And it's now going to native grasses and plantings that don't require any sort of care and maintenance. They, they occasionally get complaints from neighbors because they say, well, your grass isn't green. What's wrong with it? Please take care of it. And so there is this huge educational need for people uh, both, you know, at a, at a residential setting, but also at a, at a large school like that to help people understand if you go back before humans took over this land, what did it look like? And it wasn't, it wasn't just light, nicely manicured green lawns. Um, it was, it was something very, very different than that. And, and so it's this, it's a, that's a perception about what is beautiful and what it's supposed to look like. And, and I, I think, you know, Chelsea's right. We need to transition. There's, there's an educational component around helping people understand, um, what beauty is and doing it in a way that's compelling to people. Um, there's, there's obviously also when you, when you get away from a manicured lawn and you go to the, the more natural setting there, are, it's much lighter on the earth, you know, you don't, you're not dumping petroleum on your lawn. Um, uh, you're, you're not having to, to, to cut the grass twice a week with a really terrible engine uh, and a variety of other things. So I think there, there, there are many environmental benefits to that as well. And I think when we think about, Gardening in an urban context, uh, there's also the need to consider how people garden who who don't have yards themselves. Um, a lot of that comes through through shared gardening spaces, public gardens. Uh, at the city, we try to facilitate that a little bit. Um, there are dozens of of these shared gardens around this around town um, on our city owned vacant lots. And we have a service, you, you can check our website out, uh, the City of Omaha's Planning Department's website, just search for that, plus vacant lots. And 
and we'll even help people find vacant lots that are suitable for, for gardening and offer them uh, for use free of charge for at least a, a temporary time. We're also trying to do some work right now in partnership with MAPA to, to ease up some of our zoning restrictions on urban agriculture. So as we draw to a conclusion, I, I wonder if you would just like to share an experience that speaks to you in some way about uh, gardens or the natural world. And mine might include the time that I was fortunate enough to go to one of the uh, large redwood forests in California, and we'd had the foresight to rent a soft-top car so we could put the roof down, and and my wife drove so I could recline the seat and just lean back and, and look as vertically as I could. And it was just majestic, this this huge, huge, vast expanse of living entity that had been there for hundreds of years. And, and that being enfolded in, in nature of that particular form was really quite, um, you, know, you know, wonderful just for that, that moment in time. It really was quite sublime. So I just wonder if you have just a memory. It could just be as simple as, uh, you know, your favorite flower or just an experience in a garden or some other experience that you've had that really moved you. Uh, and maybe this is the definition of a garden might be slipping a little bit here, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with it anyway. Um, and this is less of a memory and this is more of a hope. Um, so I, I don't live far from Elwood park and there's sort of a grove of trees, um, that runs, uh, sort of North South along Elmwood park all the way up past Memorial park and way down South to Pacific street. It's the Elmwood Creek. And uh, I, I, my daughters and I and my wife frequently walk through there on our way to Elmwood Park or to Memorial Park. And it is a beautiful, beautiful space, um, especially this time of year when there are no leaves on the trees. You can kind of see through and in it. And my dream is has been to create sort of a trail system that runs in and out there because what happens today is it's really not open and welcoming to any visitors uh, the people that do go down there are usually smoking pot for the most part, uh, which good for them. That's fine. Um, but I'd love to create uh, a system that really kind of pulls people in and welcomes them to go down in there and explore. I mean, it is in the heart of our city. It's in a really relatively dense part of our city. Um, and it is, is a really spectacular, still quite natural area. Um, that's, I hope that five or 10 years from now, I'd love to see it. it honestly, it's not that expensive. We've kind of penciled out some of the numbers on it, it could be done. But um, so not a memory, but a hope. My favorite memory regarding gardens, um, it's kind of a recurring, recurring memory. Happens every year. And it's that first harvest. I really love just the first time, you know, you've worked, you've planted your seeds, you, you've watered diligently, you, the plants are up. Finally, you get to eat something from it. And just that very first bite this is usually just one bite because it's it's not much ready to go it's kind of usually just me in my backyard nibbling hiding from my family but um that first bite is my my favorite gardening memory every single year um when i was a kid i went to a summer camp every summer up in wisconsin and we had a vegetable garden there and um, there were designated times that we were allowed to go to the garden, uh, but I had a friend of mine and I who um, we would sneak into the garden and steal tomatoes and squat down between the plants we were hiding. 
and eat these large red tomatoes and they were warm and there's just nothing, nothing like it, whether it's because we were being risky or um, rebellious because they just tasted good. I can, I can remember that right now. You know, in England we call it scrumping and uh, my friends and I would go to the local orchards and trespass on the farmer's fields and just pull the apples off the trees and it was obviously delicious straight from from the tree for that theft in this country (laughs) (laughs) and that's allegedly that i did that (laughs) there's a really great agnes varda film that's all about that um over in france just going around to the to the farms after the actual harvest has happened they let people come in and and kind of get the remnants of what the, the food that's left over. And sometimes it's imperfect, imperfectly shaped potatoes or whatever. And it, the gleaners and I, I think is what it's called. And uh, so it's called gleaning or theft, Craig, for you. <laughs> well, perfectly imperfect. I've been in dialogue today with Stephen Osberg, Craig Moody, and Chelsea Taxman. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Stuart. Stuart, always a pleasure. spring you're just thinking about where to get ingredients for the bitters yeah that's what I'm, I'm like yeah right after this next round of wetness there's going to be some really awesome bitter greens coming up <laughs> so tell me how powerful is that love potion that you brew that's <laughs> great we'll cut that don't worry <laughs> That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar McTizik. Behind-the-scenes management was provided by the magnificent Marion Fay. Lives is a production of Squish Talks. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. I'm Stuart Chittenden.